I can literally remember like what I wore to seventh grade, like all these like things. And so I think I perceive images and I see fashion in a little bit of a different way. Um, I can actually see through the clothes and see something else. And so I've got them like always had that thing, but I didn't think that it was anything that I could build a career from or anything that I could actually, you know, do for a living. You're listening to Side Hustle Pro, the podcast that teaches you to build and grow your side hustle from passion project to profitable business. And I'm your host, Nikayla Matthews-Okome. So let's get started. Hey, hey guys, I am back with a bonus episode this week. Today in the guest chair is the legendary Brandis Daniel, the founder of Harlem's Fashion Row. Harlem's Fashion Row, aka HFR, is the most prestigious platform for multicultural fashion designers. Founded in 2007, HFR began as a project of passion, with Brandis aiming to fill the void for multicultural fashion designers and high-profile professionals in the industry. Today, HFR's mission is to partner with designers to build profitable and sustainable businesses that will leave a legacy for generations to come. HFR hosts an annual September Style Awards and fashion show during New York Fashion Week, which has been covered by the New York Times, New York Magazine, Elle, Essence, and the Wall Street Journal. On today's episode, Brandis shares how she went from literally having the runway painted an hour before HFR's first fashion show to getting major brands to now pay for her events. Let's get right into it. So welcome to the guest chair, Brandis. I'm so excited to be here. I am super excited to have you here because yours is a career that I've followed for years now before I've ever, you know, talked to you. I knew of Harlem's Fashion Row. Um, used to try to figure out how I could get a ticket, <laughs> how I could get my my foot in the door. But, you know, I'd love to know how it all started. So tell us a little bit about your personal story and how your upbringing influenced your path. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. So here's the thing. I feel like we're always kind of born with, you know, that thing that we're supposed to be doing in life or whatever change we're supposed to be making in the world. I feel like it starts when we're little. And so for me, I have always played with clothes, love clothes, love fashion. Even as a young child, like I was the one of my, I have two sisters, but out of the three of us, I was always the one that was most difficult to shop for that knew exactly what I wanted to wear on picture day in the fourth grade. You know, like <laughs> everything had to be coordinated. <laughs> I can literally remember like what I wore to seventh grade, like all these like things. And so I think I perceive images and I see fashion in a little bit of a different way. Mm -hmm. um, I can actually see through the clothes and see something else. And so I've got them like always had that thing, but I didn't think that it was anything that I could build a career from or anything that I could actually, you know, do for a living. And so like most people my age, uh, 77 babies, we went to school for something that our parents had told us to go to school for. <laughs> and so I went to school for pre-med, which was, you know, I don't know, my mother convinced me I wanted to be a pediatrician. 
And that first semester, I knew that it wasn't for me. Like I took one science class and was like, there is no way in the world I'm going to stick this out for another seven years. And so I went to, I said, well, well, how do I figure out what do I do next? So I said, let me go to the career center. I heard there's some tests you can take. And I took the test and everything said fashion retail. (laughs) (laughs) So I didn't go to like a fashion school. I went to University of Tennessee at Chattanooga and which is, you know, nowhere known for fashion. So I, um, I didn't know that we actually had a fashion merchandising degree there. There was a woman who had left Levi's working in their marketing department, and she was there on my campus as the head of this fashion department. And so I changed my major that day. Uh, My mom had a fit, but it was the best decision I could have ever made for me. Graduated with a fashion merchandising degree, like most people back then, could not find a job in my major, like most college grads, right? And was just trying to figure out, like, what do I do? And to be honest with you, at the time, there was a guy I was super in love with that lives in Atlanta. Oh. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I was like, huh, I'll figure out my life later right now. I just need to get to Atlanta where he is. And so I moved to Atlanta, um, did work as uh, I sold insurance, dismemberment insurance, which is like the worst kind of like arm or leg or crazy, right? Um, but then, and then I went from there once I couldn't do that anymore, just, I just, it just felt, started to feel really sleazy. I went from there and I, um, decided to go to a temp service and I got a job with a home builder in Atlanta. And that job was incredible because I had a boss who was the worst boss I had ever had, but taught me more than anyone had ever taught me. And I kept getting promoted there. And then the home builder closed. So I was like, crossroads. What do I do with my life? Do I take these jobs that are being offered to me? Cause our vendors were offering me jobs or do I do what I know I'm supposed to be doing, which is something in fashion. And so there was something in me at 23 years old that knew that I was at a crossroads and that whatever decision I made could affect the rest of my life. And so I, I said, you know what, whatever it takes, if I have to be a janitor, and I said this out loud, if I have to be a janitor, I will go and be a janitor in a buying office. Wow. And that's the place I was at. And so long story short, because it is a long story, but I ended up working for Catherine's stores in Memphis, Tennessee, because I had to move back home with my parents, similar to your story. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, this all sounds a little, other than the fashion part, very, very similar. <laughs> Our stories are a lot alike. I moved back home with my parents, um, which was a very humbling experience to move back to Memphis and then also move back in the house with my parents, which is where I grew up. And while I was there, I was just kind of soul searching, trying to figure out working part time at Brooks Brothers, working part time for another temp company, filing papers. And while I was there, I call him my angel to this day. But he walked up to me and he said, what are you supposed to be doing? And I said, what do you mean? He said, what are you supposed to be doing with your life? Wait, was this a random person who walked up to you? This was a guy who had worked in a department. I was friendly with everyone, but for whatever reason, God, I think, had shown him something about me. And he said, what are you supposed to be doing? And I looked at him and I almost in tears, I said, I'm supposed to be working in a buying office. I'm supposed to be doing something in fashion. And he said, well, why aren't you doing it? You know, Catherine's corporate office is here. I said, I know. I sent them my resume. I keep following up. I'm not getting anywhere with it. And he said, let me see your resume. 
And I looked at it and he said, I used to work at West Point and we would get hundreds of resumes a day and we gave them maybe five seconds and it was yes, no, maybe pile. And yours would go in the no pile. And so he literally helped me change my entire resume. I sent that same, that resume he and I had worked on to the same company I had been following up on and they called me that day at 4 p.m. Wow. What did you do to that resume? (laughs) (laughs) You know, it's about, like, we think it's about telling people what we do, but it's Mm -hmm. not It's about telling people how well we've done it in our resume. And so, you know, it's not about listing all your tasks. It's about how well you did those tasks and what did you achieve by doing those tasks. That's the short version. So I, um, so I ended up getting a job there, worked in allocations, then got promoted to assistant buyer, um, which was a process for me because they didn't want to promote me to assistant. So I did two jobs until they finally promoted me. And, um, and then I knew I wanted to move to New York. And so I was trying to figure out, well, how do I get to New York? Like, I know I want to move there. And I was just telling people I'm moving to New York. I'm moving to New York. So were you, were you working at Catherine's now as a buyer while you're thinking about it? Like this is, you transitioned over. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so I was just saying, I'm working, I'm moving to New York. I'm moving to New York. And so I started visiting New York because I said, if I'm going to move there, I need to start visiting it because being someone from Memphis, I didn't know anybody, but one person in my entire life who had ever been to New York. Wow. So, and she was like a friend of a friend from college. And, you know, I said, I have to get over, I don't want to be intimidated by it. And if this is where I'm going to move, I need to start to feel comfortable here. And so I would take two trips to New York every year. And one day I got a call out the blue from uh, one of my vendors who was based in New York. And she said, Literally, the first thing she said, I said, hello. And she said, Brandis, do you want to move to New York? <laughs> what? Talk about that's a little bit like law of attraction, too. Like visiting, you know, twice a year and just willing that move into your life. Faith is an action. People think faith is belief. It's action. And so if if you want something to happen and you want to exercise faith in that area, you have to move towards that thing in, in whatever way, you know, whatever that looks like for you. So anyway, so I had a call with her, ended up working for them. And while I was working for them, they had just broken, it was International Intimates was the company, but they had just broken the Victoria's Secrets account. And so it was growing really fast and they needed a lot of people. And apparently her boss said, we need somebody really good. Do you know anybody? And she said, Brandis, but she's in Memphis. <laughs> and so, and so went there, um, was one of the most amazing experience. I actually liked my job. A lot. I love apparel production. Most people in fashion think I'm crazy every time I say that, but I actually really liked it a lot. Gave me the opportunity to travel to Asia quite often. I have still have so many friends in Indonesia and China and Hong Kong through that experience. Wow. And so, uh, but while I was there, I was still trying to figure out what's my purpose. Mm -hmm. I know I moved to New York for a reason, but what's my purpose? Why am I here? And was at a fashion show with a friend in Brooklyn at this small restaurant. And I said, I want to do this, this Mm -hmm. fat, this type of a fashion event. I want to do this in Harlem. And that really changed my life. That one idea. And so what happened from there? Like, how did you move forward with this, this idea? So I was still working, you know, my job at international intimates, working in production during the day. And when I had that idea, I literally started planning. That was in May of 2007, um, because I originally thought when I moved to New York, my ultimate goal was going to be to own a 
menswear boutique. I was actually working at a menswear boutique every weekend volunteering. I was like, I asked him if I could be his apprentice. And so he was the one relationship that I had because I was volunteering at his store. So when I had this idea about the fashion show, he was the first person to ask, will you be a part of this? And of course he was like, absolutely. Because I had never asked him for anything. I was just working for him for free. And so he said, yes. And I knew the other four people that I wanted to ask. And so they were um, four other boutiques that were in Harlem, but the boutique owners were also designers. And I just kept asking and they all told me no, actually. Every last one of them said, absolutely not. We don't know who you are. We don't know who Harlem's Fashion Row is. We work years to develop our brand, to put our brand we've worked so hard for in this random person from Memphis's hand. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's real like that. I was going to ask about that because it's like when you develop a new brand and you're all excited about it, you know, same thing with Side Hustle Pro. And I'm like, I can't wait to have you on the show. And people are like, I don't know what Side Hustle Pro is. I don't know who you are. (laughs) It's going to be a no. (laughs) So how did you push through that? I just, you know, I don't know. I have, I think from my father, just an insane I just have insane tenacity. And so for me, and I don't really take things personal, right? Which drives my friends crazy sometimes. They're like, why are you still talking to that person? I'm like, who like who, who cares? I don't have the energy to hold a grudge. And so I would keep going back to them, keep going back to them, keep calling, keep showing up at their store. One of the ladies, she just kept, I mean, she was downright rude to me, actually. And I kept saying, well, you know what? Don't say no right now. Just say you'll think about it and I'll come back. And then I would come back the next day and she would basically go off on me again. (laughs) And then I would say, don't say, don't say, just don't say no right now. Just say you'll think about it and I'll come back. And I just kept doing that until finally she was like, okay, fine. I'll do it if I can close the show. And I was like, I'll think about it. And I'll come back because there's something else in me. I think it's Memphis that just these other things come up in me. And I'm like, did I just let that come out of my mouth? Right. Finally, I go, oh, I'll think about it. (laughs) So I love um, that. So she finally came on board. And then I had another, um, it was Pieces in Harlem. I don't know if you remember that. I remember that. Yes. And Leticia finally said, like, before I ever follow up with all of them. I sent them all this beautiful letter and there's like green chartreuse paper, thick, um, typed. I put a bow around it. It went in this chocolate envelope with gold writing on it because I knew that when I called them, I wanted to be able to say, I'm the one who sent you the like green and and brown, you know, the green and brown letter. And I knew they would know. Mm -hmm. And so Latish was like, oh, yeah, I got the letter was so beautifully presented, you know, and I also believe like those things says to people how your event is going to be like to me, your invite basically tells me everything I need to know about your event. And so I was like, if I send it like this, then they'll know that I'm somebody who's going to take great detail with every piece of the event as well. And so anyway, kept going to Latisha, kept calling her husband Finally, I I was in Brooklyn with some friends at this barbecue and I walked to her store from there. And when I walked in there, she was like, where is that paper? I'm going to sign it for you right now because you are not going to (laughs) stop. 
<laughs> so she so she signed on. And so then I had three designers and I finally was able to go get the fourth by saying, hey, I've got these three. And the fifth one never did come on board, but they ended up hiring me to do an event for them like a month later in their store. Now, I have so many questions to break that down a little bit. Now, you get this idea, you decide to produce this event. One, how did you go about funding this because it's not a cheap thing to put on a fashion show. And then two, how did you go about figuring out how to produce the event, the space, the even the invites, all of these pieces just came together when this is not, this wasn't your career or your expertise? Not at all. I mean, the short answer is God. The long answer is I asked for help and I asked for a lot of help. And everyone who I would come across, I I knew from the beginning that this was something so much bigger than me. Like, I just knew it. Sometimes you know that something you're doing is you're just a vessel. That's it. And so for Harlem's Fashion Row, I'm literally just the vessel. This is like way, way, way bigger than me. And so I would just tell people my vision and I would share kind of my passion for it. And then they would, I would say, I need help though. Can you help me in this area? Or I need these things. And they would say, yeah, but you also need X, Y, and Z too. And I know somebody who does. And before I knew it, I had a group of like 20 volunteers and, um, I met a publicist at an event and she and I had lunch and she was just building her business. I said, will you please come on, you know, come on with me for this event. And so she came on board the financing of it. I sold tickets to the event and some of it I paid for myself for the first probably three years, I paid for a lot of the events myself um, with help from like family and friends. And my friends all kind of took one component of the event. Two of my friends paid for car service. One of my friends paid for flowers, like, you know, so my friends were just absolutely incredible. And um, I actually got offered a sponsorship my first year, but I ended up not taking it. Why is that? It, it, I, I, I could just kind of see like where my brand was going. Look, my brand, and I, I didn't even have a brand. <laughs> <laughs> That's that faith is in action. Oh, God. <laughs> I, I could just see like where I wanted this to go. And that sponsor just didn't align with where I saw us going. Okay. And, and so even then, I was just, it was the hardest thing I've ever done because that, $3,000 would have basically covered the event. Mm-mm. And I had to email somebody back who ha- I had almost begged to have meetings with me and basically say, no, I'm not going to move forward. Yeah, that sounds tough. So talk to us about that first event. How did it go? Um, did it go as you expected? And what did you learn from it? No, nothing went as I expected. We didn't have enough electricity for backstage you know, the power kept going out and which is disastrous for a fashion show because you've got so many things plugged in from lights and mirrors and uh, hair tools and all that stuff. That was a disaster. Um, I had this idea that I was going to have this runway built and these people were supposed to build it for me. They said they would build it the day of the event and that they could do it. And I came in that morning. The The, the thing was not built at all. I had to get a friend who is an ER doctor to go and get wood from Home Depot because they needed more wood for the runway. People showed up to the door and the runway was still wet with paint. Um, (laughs) (laughs) 
If you could what see else? my face right now. What else do you want to know? <laughs> Everything that could go wrong went wrong, but it was the most incredible event and one of my favorite moments of this journey like that I've ever had. And no one knew. Like the audience didn't know any of that. They had no clue. As a matter of fact, we kept people waiting at the door in the beginning and you know, so people showed up and there was a line and people thought it was a hot event. <laughs> because the runway was wet. <laughs> oh my gosh. Now, was it hard to attract an audience for this or was everyone just so excited about what you had produced? You know, like, because this was not something that we saw every day. You know, the one thing I teach people even now is like, you have to figure out a way to make your event sticky. And so I had a lot of components in this event that made the event sticky. I had uh, dancers who opened the show and that was like 50 of them. Right. So now all their family wants to come. I had four different designers and boutiques. All of their audience needed to come. I had my publicist who was inviting like influencers and editors and all those people. They wanted to come. I had two nonprofits that I had partnered with for this event that we um, donated 10% of the proceeds to. So now they sent it out to all their audience. Mm. Then I had a cigar roller on the patio. So it was like, the audience, it was packed. Matter of fact, we had to turn people away. The very first event. Hey guys, it's Nikayla with a quick word from our sponsor. Okay, I have a side hustle hack for all to hear, and it's called Skillshare. You want to know how I grow as a businesswoman? I keep learning. There's not a week that goes by that I'm not checking out a refresher class or a deep dive tutorial. And my go-to is Skillshare. Skillshare is an online learning platform with over 18,000 classes in business, marketing, entrepreneurship, you name it. So whether you're trying to start a side hustle or scale your business, Skillshare is there to keep you learning and thriving. In the last month alone, I've learned how to set up my email capture landing page on Squarespace and how to boost my email marketing using MailChimp, all through Skillshare. And now, Skillshare has a special offer just for my listeners. Get two months of Skillshare for just 99 cents. That's right, just 99 cents. To sign up, go to Skillshare.com slash Hustle Pro. Again, go to Skillshare.com slash Hustle Pro to start your two months now. So now you've done your first event and you turned down a sponsor, but, you know, moving into thinking about longevity, when did you start to think about, OK, what is the revenue model that I'm going to create for this? And then how did you go about implementing that? I was thinking about that year one, honestly. Um, I, I in my gut, I was like, I think sponsorships is going to be a way for me to do this, to pay for the events, to be profitable and you know, for me to not have to worry about the financial piece of these events. But the challenge was, I didn't know anything about sponsorships. So (laughs) I didn't know anything about it. I didn't, my sponsorship deck looked a hot mess. It was a miracle that I ever got offered a sponsorship. But the second year, the agency that represented Target called us, but they called us right after we had done the second event. And I was still working my nine to five. So a lot of this I was paying for with my nine to five money. And so the second event, we had the agency call us. And that was when I was kind of like, okay, what I thought was possible is actually really, really possible. 
because up until that point, we had only gotten like product sponsors, but nobody to actually write a check. Mm -hmm. So that third year of business, we actually got sponsorship from Target. Now, you've gotten sponsorship from Target. You said your, your deck was a hot mess, though. So what changed once you started to get names like Target? So before I had gotten Target, the second year of business, I met my now business partner, Sybilla Muti. I met her I met her first and she said, let me introduce you to my husband. He's a graphic artist. And he saw everything and he said, let me gift you with your logo. <laughs> so he literally, the logo that I have to this day is the logo that he gifted me with my second year of business. And I said, you know, I have this deck. I have this meeting coming up with Target when that came up. I was like, but I don't know, like, I know what I want to say, but I don't know how to present it. And so he designed it for me. Wow. And so that first deck, I literally went from, I don't even know how to describe this, but from looking a hot mess to being like looking real luxury, like <laughs> in an instant, because he was, he had done graphic work for the net, for the Knicks and for Nelson Mandela. And like, wow. he was just amazing. And so he was able to take what I saw in my head as the vision for this brand and put that into like a creative deck. It was incredible. That is amazing. Yeah. Wow. So when did you quit your job? I quit my job in 2011. So I was almost four years in. Four years in, what made you finally decide to go full time on it? Yeah, it was probably one of the hardest decisions I've had to make. Um, being very honest with you, I probably was not ready to quit my job. Um, now I would give people different advice than what I did. But I kind of felt like HFR was growing so fast. And something in my gut told me that 2011 was going to be a huge year and that if I was going to take it where I needed to take it, I wouldn't be able to be working full time too. Um, because I had a super demanding job. It wasn't nine to five. It was nine to nine, nine to 10, nine to midnight. And so I just took the leap. I, I said, you know what? It's just me. I'm not married. I was dating my husband at the time. And I also said, you know what? If he's going to, if he's going to stick around, <laughs> this will be a telltale sign of <laughs> Is the person for me because if he can stick with me through this, then okay. you know. But I just kind of went for it. I said, you know, there's only there's a there's only a period of time in your life where you don't have a lot of responsibilities. I didn't have a mortgage. I was living in a place that didn't cost that much money in rent. I didn't have any children. It was just me. And I was like, if this goes all wrong, I can go get another job. But I've never looked back. Hmm. So what makes you then say that? you probably left too early. Like what went wrong? It was hard. Um, you know, the financial stress of figuring out how I'm just going to live was so incredibly difficult. I mean, you're talking about a faith journey. It was just really difficult. And, you know, sponsorship isn't all, like now I tell people to have three streams of revenue, please. You know, because- you need to be able to have one thing coming in when another one is not. And I didn't think through those streams of revenue. I just kind of had like a very one track mind. And so I just didn't have, I didn't have the plan that I needed to have in place. You know, I feel like now if you're going to make that jump, you should at least have a few things in place before you do that. 
And I myself have just purchased the book, so I can't wait to get it. But tell the listeners more about, you know, what to expect from this book that you've released. Like, what's it called and where can they get it? Uh, Absolutely. So the book is called Sponsored, How to Get Brands to Pay for Your Next Event. And they can go to mysponsoredbook.com to get the book. But here's the, so I just released this book this year. I wrote this book years ago, Nikayla. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you wrote it a few times. (laughs) I, I did because it was so incredibly difficult for me to get sponsorship in the beginning. Like there was so many things that no one ever tells you. And it's, it's the one thing that you honestly can't really Google, right? If you Google how to get sponsorship, you're going to get some super generic information from probably somebody who's never gotten it before. And there are just some key things that in the beginning, I just didn't know that now it's, I'm not saying it's easy, you know, it's still not an easy thing, but it's not stressful anymore for me. So it's, you know, it's, it's, um, there's just so many things that people don't tell you. And so I had to figure these things out through trial and error, you know, even as like how much money will brands give you for an event? My fourth year in business, a brand actually, uh, I got a sponsorship for $85,000. Wow. And I didn't even know that that was possible for me, you know, and that, that's not the biggest sponsorship we've gotten. And so it's like a matter of knowing for me, it was like, what do brands want? Like, how do I even offer them something that that they want and that is going to be valuable enough for them to come on board and say, I'll sponsor your event? And in the beginning, what I was doing was I was so busy selling my cause, right? I'm so passionate about multicultural fashion designers, specifically designers of color. And so I just kept pushing my agenda. And my agenda are the designers that I work with all day, every day. So I kept pushing that, pushing that, pushing that. And a friend said to me, Brandis, people aren't going to buy your cause. They're going to buy you. They're going to buy you and they're going to buy what they can get from this. And I was like, why would people buy me? I don't understand that. Like, why would people, why why do people even care about me? They should care about this, this cause that I'm pushing. And once I realized that, she was right. And that people buy from people they like and people work with people they like and they support people they like. It kind of changed everything in terms of how I approach sponsorships now. That makes so much sense. And yeah, you know, I've had my own trial and errors with sponsorship for this podcast. So I can definitely relate because there's no, there's nothing you can Google. Like you, sponsorships for podcasts is, you know, it's even more niche than, than event sponsorship because not everyone even knows what a podcast is. (laughs) 1000%. Yeah. Um, And I'm sure you relate. Speaking of that. So when did you decide to expand the arm of the business that includes the podcast? So the great girlfriends or home fashion road podcast. Both. <laughs> so, so, um, so I first started, I bought a mic years ago and I said, you know, I really want to start putting more stories, designer stories in podcast form. Um, never did it. And so when my friend Sybil and I, we were both kind of at a crossroads. And one of the things I just love doing is I love sharing all of my life with people. Like not just the great part, but I love sharing the mistakes I've made, 
um, the crazy situations I've gotten myself in, um, you know, just all of it. And so we, she and I were talking and we were kind of, I was at a place where I wanted to give more and she was at a place where she was ready to kind of transition out of the position she had been in. And she was also like, you know, I really want to do more mentoring. I said, me too. And I was like, why don't we do something together? We debate how that story went, but it went something like that. And um, we said, well, what can we do? Well, we don't want to do anything that costs us money. And so I said, well, I have a mic at home that I already bought. And so we said, well, let's do a podcast. Well, what do women want to hear about? And so we kind of started talking through like what that podcast would be and what we didn't see in the market and what people just didn't talk about. Like we talk about everything on that podcast from our relationships to how we met our husbands to um, you know, things that we have to do to keep a great relationship to, <laughs> you know, work and entrepreneurship and networking. And we were like, let's just make it everything that we would talk to with our great girlfriends. And so we decided to call it the great girlfriends. And from that, um, I said, you know what, I want to do the same thing with HFR. And so I started the Harlem Fashion Road podcast as well. But I love podcasting. Like it's been um, probably one of the, again, one of the better decisions that I've made. Now, how do you structure your time so that all of these are not pulling away from your core business? It's tough because um, I have a two-year-old now. (laughs) So, so it's not easy, but what I do is I front load my day. So I have about four interns right now with Harlem's Fashion Row and I have an assistant. And so Um, I've run what I think is probably one of the best internship programs out there, Uh, very low key, but it's amazing. And I've done that for years. um, And it's it really teaches students kind of like how to approach business. But it also helps me out so much because I have a call every single morning at 8 a.m. with them. And so front loading my day in that way, like I've gotten probably four hours worth of work done in that one hour. Because I'm literally saying, can you do this? You do that. You do this. Send this email for me. Get this deck. Send this email out. You know, so I'm able to get a lot done in that one hour of my morning before most people even start their day. And so that's super helpful. And then I know what I'm doing every day. I know Mondays is my great girlfriend's day. I'm not doing anything else. I know Tuesday what I'm working on. I know I got my day broken down by hour and I just know it by heart now what I'm doing every single hour. Oh, I love that. I strive for that. Like that, it is that the is the life of, <laughs> that is the life I'm working towards. <laughs> it's the only way when you, I have a six hour day because mm-hmm. I have to pick my daughter up. I believe to pick her up at four o'clock every day. So I don't have even an eight hour day like most people, you know, once I put her to bed, which she goes to bed at seven, which that helps. So I'll have a couple hours, but then I have to give my husband time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I can't just put her to bed and then go straight to work, you know? So it's when you have a lot of things pulling at you, I feel like sometimes you get more done because you have to be so incredibly structured and intentional about every single hour. Yeah. Now, something I don't fully understand, Harlem Fashion Row, I know it's a year long feat to put this on. How often does, is it twice a year, once a year? And then what's happening in quote unquote off season? So let me, for those of people who may not know what Holmes Fashion Row is, we're a um, multicultural platform for designers. So our goal is to connect designers with buyers, brands, and press so that 
it can help them to build their brand. Okay. And so we're launching a few new things coming up. Uh, we're probably best known for the event that we do in September during New York fashion week. So we do that event. Um, and then we also do smaller events throughout the year. For example, like it looks like I'll be going to Bentonville Film Festival. I'll do something there. Brands have pulled me in to do other activations that they're doing at other places. So I'll get pulled to do something at Hispanicize. So I'll work with a Latina designer or maybe an editor at Latina to come in and do those events. So we do those things in the off season. A lot of brand collaborations that uh, aren't that we don't own, but that they own, but that we come in and we activate at the at at their events. Okay. Um, in addition to that, we usually have a dinner in February, um, sometimes several throughout the year. And then um, I work with designers just on consulting on the side. We're actually about to launch um, a six weeks business of fashion course, which I'm super excited about. Uh, one of the things I'm realizing is that designers just don't know like how to market and how to create additional revenue streams for their um, for their brand and they're, they're not sure kind of how to reach their customers, maybe in a non-conventional way. So we'll be launching that soon as well. Oh, exciting. Alrighty. So what do you think has been just the overall, just most surprising part of entrepreneurship for you? That you just keep learning. Um, I think the thing for me is that I'm constantly growing, like constantly growing. I don't think, I don't know when I'm going to get to a place where I feel like, okay, I got this. I just, I don't see that place. It could be somewhere in close sight, but um, I think the other thing people don't realize is that it takes time. So um, Nikayla asked me at the beginning, like, how, how am I doing? And I told her that 2018 has probably been the best year of my life and we're just in April. Mm-hmm. And part of that, you know, last year I celebrated 10 years with Holmes Fashion Row and it was like people were waiting for me to hit that 10 year mark. When I tell you some of the opportunities and some of the things, the partnerships that we're going to be announcing throughout this year is just going to blow everyone away because they blow me away. Even some of the emails that I get and some of the meetings that I'm requested for, um, I think people don't realize that, you know, you have to stick in there because people are waiting to see if this is a brand that's going to be around for the next 20 years or if you're just around for right now. Mm. That is so real. I've had, you know, guests say, I, I want to see you podcast a little bit more before you, you know, I jump on a show and then it doesn't exist in five years, two years, whatever. Um, so that's definitely real. Yeah. And I say all the time, people tell you, go follow your dreams, do what you love, but they don't tell you, go follow your dreams, do what you love and stick with it for 10 years. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> you know, exactly. <laughs> they don't say that. But I can tell you, like, from someone who is, I'm just amazed at, you know, the gift that God is just placing in my lap. Like, every single day I open my email up and I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe I just got asked to do that. Or, oh, my goodness, I can't believe we have a partnership coming up um, that'll be announced actually in September at our event that, I mean, never in a gazillion years would I have even gone for this. But it actually felt like God just brought it and just said, here you go, Brandis, you know, after 10 years. That is crazy. Well, congratulations on everything that's coming your way. So well-deserved. I can't wait for the announcements. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm in such suspense now. But uh, I wanted to transition to the lightning round where I asked you five questions and you just answer the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. Number one, what's a resource that has helped you in your business that you can share with the Side Hustle Pro audience? There is a book that I read um, and it is called E-Myth Revisited by Michael Gerber. It is probably a book that every entrepreneur should be required to read. Love it. Number two, who is a Black woman entrepreneur that you would want to trade places with for a day and why? Tiffany the Budgenista, because she is absolutely brilliant. She's been um, my mentor for probably the past year and a half in my business. She's just genius at what she does. All righty. Number three. What is a personal habit that has helped you significantly in your business? Having an intern call every single morning at 8 a.m. Number four, what is something that you absolutely cannot live without in your business? Mm, Probably Google Docs. (laughs) (laughs) And then number five, what is your parting advice for fellow women entrepreneurs who want to be their own boss, but are worried about losing a steady paycheck? Hmm. What do you want your legacy to be? You know, think about what you want your legacy to be and what do you want for your, for your, for the next generation. And so for me, that pushes me forward. Anytime I think about quitting, I think about what I want for my daughter and what I want for my nieces and nephews. I love that. I love that. And on that note, what is the best way that we can connect with you after this episode? Um, You can connect with me on email, office at harlemsfashionrow.com. If you want the sponsorship book, you can go to mysponsoredbook.com. You can connect with me on, I think, all social media. I'm Brandis Daniel. That's no S at the end, just Brandis Daniel. Um, You can check out Harlem's Fashion Row, which is at Harlem's Fashion Row on Instagram. Or The Great Girlfriends, which is The Great Girlfriends on Instagram. I'm a little bit of of, of everywhere, I think. That's perfect. So we can definitely connect with you. (laughs) Absolutely. All righty. Thank you so much for joining us in the guest chair, Brandis. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. And there you have it. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to Side Hustle Pro. If you want to hear more from me, head on over to sidehustlepro.co forward slash side hustle corner to get my weekly side hustle diaries chronicles about my own journey from passion project to profitable business. And if you want to find me online, I'm at side hustle pro on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Don't forget to join the side hustle pro Facebook community. Go to sidehustlepro.co forward slash mastermind. And as always, if you love the show, do me a favor and subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes. Thanks, guys. Talk to you next week. Thank you.